0: It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. You're tuned into Christian Questions. Join the conversation now, on air or online, at ChristianQuestions.com. And download our app by searching for Christian Questions Radio. Here's Rick and Jonathan.
1: Henry David Thoreau once said, Make the most of your regrets. Never smother your sorrow. To regret deeply is to live afresh. Good morning, everyone. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different
2: perspective. And I'm Jonathan, and that different perspective has its basis in three things. Godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, always done in a politically
1: free zone. Folks, thanks for joining us today. This is a call in format, and we are caller-friendly So let's get started. And good morning, Jonathan. Good morning, Rick. It's snowing outside. I know. What is up with that? It's April. (laughs) And uh, this is a call in format. This week it is. Last week it wasn't. Uh, We did a program on the resurrection uh, last Sunday Mm -hmm. and uh, did not take calls, um, but told a story instead. And actually, we got some really wonderful responses from that. We'll get to that in a minute. But what's the subject for today?
2: Well, Rick, our question is, will my regrets ever leave me alone? Part one. And Rick, our theme text is found in Acts chapter 22, verse 19. And this is the Apostle Paul um, speaking. And I said, Lord, they themselves understood that in one synagogue after another, I used to imprison and beat those who believed in you. A lot of explaining to go with that theme of
1: scripture, isn't there? There is. (laughs) But the thing is, the question, will my regrets ever leave me alone? And, and here, look, we all have regrets. We all have times or decisions, or moments in our lives that if we could get a child's game do-over, remember those? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we would take it in a heartbeat. And go. sure. We, we'd go back with, with, with clearer thinking, or, or firmer courage, or more patience, or deeper conviction, or a bridled tongue, or solid self-control. I mean, we'd go back with something. Yes. Just to change what happened. But we can't. We can't get... A child's game do-over. We can't change what we have already allowed to happen or what we have already said or what we have already done or thought. So, what do we do? How do we handle our regrets in a way that keeps them from playing again and again in our heads? Great question. Can't (laughs) wait to learn. (laughs) it, It is one of those piercing, deep life questions. It's it's a great question, and folks, just ahead, we think we do have a good answer. A- and I will tell you that discussing this subject of regret wasn't my idea. Uh, it was suggested to me uh, by by someone that, that works with us uh, with, with Christian questions and said, you know, uh, the subject of regret doesn't ever get talked about, and everybody's got them. Mm-hmm. And I, I began thinking about it, thinking, yeah, you know, and uh, I regret not doing it before this. <laughs> 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 and so, there there's so much to this to this subject, uh, and 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 so, folks, we're going to do this in two parts because there is so much to talk about, and I think that every one of us has things in our lives that you look back on, and you'd prefer to just keep covered up. Mm-hmm,
0: you mm-hmm. just don't
1: want to go back there, and you and and you say to yourself, "Why did I ever? What was I thinking?" And you go through all of those things. And once you get stuck in that, in that, in that cycle, that, that tape that runs in your head again and again and again and again and again, you just can't get out of it. And it, and it. and it sucks the life out of you. So, will our regrets ever leave us alone? The good news is, yes, they can. The bad news is, but it doesn't come naturally. There you go. Okay. So let's get started with a simple definition. Merriam-Webster Dictionary, what does it mean to have, or what does regret mean? Sorrow aroused by
2: circumstances beyond one's control or power to repair. And the second definition is an expression of distressing emotion as sorrow
1: so and we have that distressing emotion looking back on our lives on choices that we've made or things that we've said and in in the world in which we live jonathan in the world of twitter and instagram and facebook have you ever posted something or tweeted something and you press that send button you think i Uh probably shouldn't have done that and now all of a sudden it's all over the world and so, so too late. Yeah, and there's so much that we can actually regret. And it's like, wow, well, this is exciting. This is, <laughs> Build them up. That's what we're here to do. Build them up as they listen. <laughs> so let's talk about regret. Let's put it in perspective. And, and really to get started with this, there is a really important key realization and premise. And And, and for me, Jonathan, in personally trying to figure out regrets, this was um almost startling and that is that we need regret really <laughs> we really need it yes Meg. we uh, look regret is a vitally important part of our lives and we should not seek to be rid of it all right now having said that let, let's clarify this a little bit because you're looking at me like come on already yeah <laughs> <laughs> regret while necessary should not be a destination rather it should be a tool Motivation. How do we know this? I mean, how do you know that you shouldn't get rid of regret but you should use it as a tool of motivation? Well, the Apostle Paul shows us this. Paul, in his pre Christian experience as Saul of Tarsus, that was his name, he was Saul, uh, before he was converted, did many things that caused him deep, deep regret. So we're going to begin by reviewing what Saul did, how he thought, and so, to to create this regret in his own mind, because he had regret. He lived with great regrets. And when we see, we're going to see how, how Paul learned to use his regrets not as a destination, as a place to go and sulk and play the tape in his head over and over and over and over again. Not h- holding him back. Right, but as a tool to move him forward. That's what we want to get for each of us. So as we get started with this, let's actually go to a a, a TED Talk soundbite from from, uh, Catherine Schultz. Uh, Her subject was Don't Regret, Regret. And we're going to be going back to her TED Talk throughout this program, and we're actually going to come back to it in in part two of our subject uh, on regret as well because she really covers things very well from a very personal uh, perspective. So let's listen to the first little bit of this, Catherine Schultz.
3: So if in fact you want to live a life free of regret, there is an option open to you. It's called a lobotomy. (laughs) But if you want to be fully functional and fully human and fully humane, I think you need to learn to live not without regret, but with it. So let's start out by defining some terms. What is regret?
1: Okay. So, simple, simple choice. Frontal lobotomy. Or learn to live with it. <laughs> Take your time. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting perspective, but it really is true. What she's saying is you've got to learn to live with it. So if you're going to learn to live with regret, we might as well learn to live with, we, with regret uh, as a tool for our betterment than just as something we tolerate.
2: And, and that brings us down.
1: Right. Right. Because those things that we tolerate, it's like, oh, okay, i got to do this again. It's like, you know, doing the chores, the ch- taking out the trash. Look, do you love taking out the trash? No. You no. Can. Are you sure?
2: I'm positive.
1: But do you have to take out the trash? Yes. Because can- no one else will. Now that's okay. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> My wife just glared at me. <laughs> it's your job, Jonathan. Let's face the facts, okay? It's your job. And so. It's one of those things that okay, you tolerate it because it's a job that has to be done. Well, living with regret, most of us sort of look at it that way. Okay, I got it's okay. I can't get rid of okay, but but no, it's it. it Regret can be something entirely, entirely different. So let's start sort of at the end, and we're going to work our way back to the beginning. Let's start with the Apostle Paul. He's before King Agrippa. He's explaining a small part of his end result after his regretful actions, and after his conversion, and after he has now moved himself to a whole different level. Simple, short little line in Acts 26, verse 19.
2: So King Agrippa... I do not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision.
1: Simple phrase. He said, I was given a heavenly vision, and I did not prove disobedient to it. And what he's saying is that heavenly vision, now remember the heavenly vision he was given, he's referring to, was when he was on the way to persecute Christians. That's
2: right. And it was our Lord Jesus Right, was that vision.
1: And he said, and I obeyed the vision. So he's giving us a hint in his description to King Agrippa of Of his reaction to being shown how much he had to regret, and he's saying, "I obeyed, i listened i I have lived my life in accordance with that new enlightenment, and that's a real key hint as to okay. How do we deal with regret? Well, we're not going to get Jesus appearing to us on the road like the Apostle Paul did. No, we're not. I promise you, you're not going to have that happen. And I promise you, if you think you do have that happen, you better think again. (laughs) All right, so let's just keep that (laughs) straight. Don't be deceived. That's right. So how do we get to that part? Well, Paul had regret, but for him, the regret was a catalyst and not captivating. It was a tool and not a destination. How did he get there? Jonathan, we're going to talk in these two parts on regret about five principles to help us refocus the power of regret. See, regret is incredibly powerful. And if you've got something as powerful as regret, you might as well learn to focus it in a direction that's going to actually be positive rather than negative. You know, it's like the power of water. Water in a flood is incredibly powerful. Oh, yes, it is. But when you can take that rushing water and channel it, and creates energy. Mm, absolutely. Same power, channeled to something positive rather than sweeping everything away. Regret is kind of like that flood of water. How do you channel it? So what is our first refocusing regret principle? It's accept. Accept and embrace the pain of
2: whatever it is that you regret. Okay.
1: It sounds pretty simple. Accept the, and embrace the pain of whatever it is that you No regret. one likes to embrace pain. <laughs> what, well, what? well, no, you're right. You're right. You're right about that. Uh, so let's go back to Katherine Schultz just very quickly uh, in, in, because she was about to define regret and we interrupted her so rudely. So <laughs> let's go back and listen to her definition.
3: Regret is the emotion we experience when we think that our present situation could be better or happier if we had done something different in the past. So in other words, regret requires two things. It requires, first of all, agency. We had to make a decision in the first place. And second of all, it requires imagination. We need to be able to imagine going back and making a different choice, able to kind of spool this imaginary record forward and imagine how things would be playing out in our present. And in fact, the more we have of either of these things, the more agency and the more imagination with respect to a given regret, the more acute that regret will be.
1: Okay, so she gives us a definition, and she's talking about how it really does get focused in, inside of our lives. Let's go to Acts 26, uh, the first part of verse 14. And when
2: we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me?
1: So now in Acts twenty six fourteen, he is describing the experience to King Agrippa, and that's where in verse 19 he said, I didn't, dis, uh, I didn't prove disobedient to the vision. So this is the vision. Jesus is speaking to him. So here's the simple truth that Paul had to accept. As Saul, he was persecuting his own long-awaited Messiah. Wow. That's the re- the truth. Uh, what a wake-up call. It is. And he got the wake-up call with the bright light and the and the voice of Jesus from heaven and blindness. <laughs> and right. So he was blinded so that he could see. I mean, really, that's what it boiled down to. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That's what he n- was beginning to realize that I have been doing exactly opposite of everything I've wanted to do. He needed to accept and embrace the pain of that uh, realization. And just a real quick story, a, a boot camp story from my son. Okay. You know, he's in the Coast Guard. When he was in boot camp, and he went through a lot of ver- they, they they break you they break you down. And there were things that he would do. And a- afterwards, I would ask him. I said, "Well, how do how do you how do you cope with that? How do you deal with the extraordinary physical, emotional pain?" that you are experiencing during those drills because it's agonizing, agonizing. And he looked at me, and he got this little smile, and he said, you learn to embrace the pain. You learn to just say, it's mine this, because I can't get away from it, so I embrace it. And I never forgot Whoa. that little example of what it really means to be able to em- embrace pain. And that's how that's a coping mechanism. And it's a powerful coping mechanism. It belongs to me. That's what he was saying. It belongs to me and I'm glad to have it because that's what this experience is. So embrace the pain. That's a hard thing to do. Yeah, it is. So Saul had a heart for God. Here's the thing. Before the break, I, we're, we're running a little late, but he had a heart for God. He wanted to serve God. He loved God above all else, but he wasn't doing what his heart was focused on he was doing something different galatians one fifteen to 16 shows us the heart for god that saul actually had but when god who had sent me
2: apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me so that i might preach him among the gentiles
1: so the his his, his heart for god was shown in his he was called from his mother's womb to serve god he that's what his life was all about Choosing to serve God, though, came to light through several dark and sinful actions that Saul himself chose to perpetrate.
2: This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject is, Will My Regrets Ever Leave Me Alone? Part 1. Coming up, so how bad could Saul of Tarsus have been? Just how much did he have to regret? That's next.
0: You're listening to Christian Questions. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today is, Will My Regrets Ever
2: Leave Me Alone? Part 1. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866 866- Nine eight five forty two fifty five. That's eight six six nine eight five for all. Or you could message us on your app, and don't forget to sign up for CQ
1: Rewind the full edition at ChristianQuestions.com. And that that's a great great tool, especially like after last week's program, where we were talking about the resurrection, telling the story, and the story of Jesus, the legacy that Jesus left. That entire transcript is on CQ Rewind the the, the full edition. And it gives you a, sense of, yeah, a sense of the, of the, the, the personal uh, uh, giving that Jesus was, was doing before he was crucified. A really magnificent, magnificent example for us. But Jonathan, let's get back to our subject matter that is regret. How do we manage regret in our lives? How do we get regret to be a tool rather than this, this sad and sorry destination? And the first principle we're working on is what? Accept. Accept and embrace the pain of
2: whatever it is that you regret.
1: Accept and embrace the pain. Two things. You've got to accept it. Okay, I did it. I said it. I thought it. I followed through on it. I shouldn't have. I did it. And, it, it, and, and embracing the pain, that's a hard thing to do. And it's not a happy thing to do. But it's a necessary thing to do as a first step. And and one of the, one point I want to make here, Jonathan, very quickly is... When we take these steps to deal with regret, it is so important that, especially the first two or three steps, they are not steps where you stop after you've done those steps because it'll just kill you. Because mm. if you just embrace the pain with no no further end result, it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna overwhelm you. So you've got to do that with the thought of, okay, now here's what I do with that pain. So we've got to always keep that in perspective. Let's go back to the TED Talk from Katherine Schultz, uh, Don't Regret, Regret. And um, she's she's talking about now in this this little soundbite, what we regret most in life.
3: But then finally it occurred to some researchers to step back and say, well, okay, but overall, what do we regret most in life? Here's what the answers turn out to look like. So, top six regrets, the things we regret most in life. Number one by far, education, 33% of all of our regrets pertain to decisions we made about education. We wish we'd gotten more of it. We wish we'd taken better advantage of the education that we did have. We wish we'd chosen to study a different topic. Other very high on our list of regrets include career, romance, parenting, uh, various decisions and choices about our sense of self and how we spend our leisure time. Or actually, uh, more specifically, how we fail to spend our leisure time. The remaining regrets pertain to these things, finance, family issues unrelated to romance or parenting, health, friends, spirituality, and community.
1: There's a lot of things you can regret. (laughs) (laughs) There sure are. Great. (laughs) And there's a lot of things that we do regret because you know what folks, we're not perfect and we make choices and we make decisions and a lot of times we don't do the right thing. We don't do the best thing. And you know, In in listening to a a lot of the the preparation for this, a lot of the people were saying, and and I know I'm supposed to say this later, but I want to say it now, you know, well, you know, look back on your life and don't regret because you did the best you could at the time. You know what? Sometimes we didn't do the best we could. You're right. Sometimes we just chose to do the wrong thing because we wanted to or we were reacting or whatever it was. And then we regret those things. What do you do with that? How do you live with that? Folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255. Toll free, 866 985 We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central.
2: And that means we're on right now. And don't forget to message us on your smartphone on
1: your free app. That's right. If you don't have the free app, you'll regret not getting it. There you go. So you can fix that one by just getting the free Christian Questions app. Go to your app store and uh, download it. Okay, so, the Apostle Paul spoke freely of the darkness of his own actions several times in Scripture. So, we're going to refer to what he said about himself. And, Jonathan, I want to warn you, it's nasty what he did. Okay. It's deeply nasty. It's troubling what he did before he was a Christian. But he tells us about it so we can talk about it. And that's, so, there, there are three different groups of individuals he, he expressed his previous experiences to. First, he expressed it to the Christian brotherhood. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14.
2: For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and try to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral
1: So, the Apostle Paul freely admits to those of the Christian faith the darkness of his sin. He says, I persecuted the church of God. To persecute means to follow after closely. okay? Uh, And and he's saying he did it extremely and excessively with burning desire. Now, if you want to just take this little bit of information and you want to go to bat for the Apostle Paul, you can say, okay, well, you know, he was really focused and this doesn't have to sound that bad. Well, it is that bad. It's worse. It's worse. It, it is. It's much worse. Because when you think about how it is that he, with this extreme desire and passion, persecuted a pursued, But he thought he was serving God. But let's look at what he did. Okay? And I will challenge that to a degree when we look at what he did. Okay? All and right. I don't like to challenge the Apostle Paul on anything, <laughs> but he challenges it himself. And therefore, it opens the door for us. So, the original account of Paul's actions regarding Stephen. Remember Stephen, the the, the follower who was stoned to death? That's right. That's in Acts chapter 8. And we're just going to touch on verses 1 and 3 before the stoning of Stephen.
2: Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and dragging
1: off men and women And he put them in prison. So let's think about this for a second. This program is not about the stoning of Stephen, and I'm glad it's not. Right. But, you know, when they stoned Stephen, there was no real trial. And in Jewish law, trial, hearing the accused was critically important. Now, they allowed Stephen to talk, but not for the purpose of hearing what he had to say. They allowed him to talk for the purpose of condemning him. So they weren't open to his goodness or the logic of what he spoke to them. They were just looking for a way, looking for the words, so they can say, see, we need to get rid of him." So this was illegal. Yes. By Jewish law, this was as bad as it gets. Now, they applied the portion of the Jewish law that said you can't stone somebody in the city. So they dragged him out of the city. So they followed the law. Oh my. But with the wrong intention, with the wrong heart, with the wrong motivation. And you see how that can happen? You 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 can you can take the law and make it work for you even though you're working against it. That's exactly what the apostle Paul did. It says he was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. It wasn't like, Well, yeah, I could take it or leave it. He was saying, Yeah, kill the man. I mean so 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 this is this is this is not something good. No. Saul was guilty. Of the satanic practice of taking a thread of truth and surrounding it with lies. That's what Satan does. And that's what Saul of Tarsus did. He said, we're following the law. We're dragging him out of the city. Sure, he's speaking. We're allowing him to speak. But they didn't listen. He didn't take the spirit of the law. He took the words and made them mean what he wanted them to mean. That's nasty. That's horrible. It is. Okay, and now let's go further on, on, on the way Saul of Tarsus was acting. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 and 2.
2: Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem.
1: So let's go through this now. The stoning of Stephen was was um, in Acts chapter seven. I think it was. I said it was chapter eight before, but it was chapter seven. Acts chapter eight is the reaction afterwards. Saul persecuting the church. Acts nine is now he's uh, on his way to Damascus, and and what what did he do? He's still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Yes, he is. Is that a, a is that a good Jewish man following the Jewish law in a godly way? No, it's not. Bre- breathing threats and murder. He goes to the high priest. He asks for permission so he can have the legal clout behind his threats and murder to, uh, to, to threaten, to chain, to, and to humiliate and to imprison those who are following after Jesus. He was
2: not loving his neighbor as himself.
1: He did not... He used the law as a tool to feed his passion. And when you think about that, is that something that when you realize you've done it afterwards, you look at that and say, oh man, I regret that.
2: Oh, for sure.
1: And we all do that to some degree or another with certain experiences in our lives. How often have you or I gotten mad about something or seen something and you blind yourself to anything but what you see? what you want to see in your anger.
2: Unfortunately, too many times.
1: And you, afterwards, once you get out of the experience, you look back and say, what have I done? Exactly. What have I said? What have I felt? What have, what have I damaged by my own uh, experiences, by my own actions and activities? So where did the law allow such behavior? It didn't. He, Paul acted on his own words. He said it and then he did it. He helped others to persecute, and then he pursued his own crusade against Christianity.
2: And it's interesting, he was being encouraged to do so by scribes and Pharisees because they wanted to squelch this sect also. And, and they saw, hey, we can take advantage, let's use this
1: guy. Right, exactly. They didn't have the courage that he had. No, they did Or the craziness exactly. that, that he had, but exactly. they sure could use it. Yep. So you can see how evil and darkness teams up. To create just absolute destructiveness. And, and so, this is a, 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 a look at the life of the Apostle Paul before he's the Apostle Paul. Now, let, let's go to. Now, he, he describes his wrongdoings to Christians. We just read that uh, a few minutes ago. He also describes his wrongdoing to the Jewish community as well. Now, in, in the next scripture in Acts 22 that we're going to read, the context is Paul is defending himself against the uproar that had occurred uh, accusing him of disrespecting the Jewish faith by being a Christian now. So these verses that we're going to read are right after he recounts his conversion and is recounting a conversation that he had with Jesus in a vision. So in a vision, in the vision, he's having a conversation with Jesus. And here's what he says to Jesus, Acts twenty two seventeen through 20.
2: And I said, Lord, they themselves understand that in one synagogue after another, I used to imprison and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of your witness, Stephen, was being shed i also was standing by approving and watching out for the coats of those who were slaying him
1: so paul freely admits to the jewish people that on several occasions he had christians beaten and imprisoned not just stephen but on several occasions that's what the verse says yes where did the law give him authority It didn't nowhere. It did not give him such authority. So so we're we're getting a view into the life of Saul of Tarsus, the same man who becomes the Apostle Paul, and how incredibly dark his actions and thinking was. It was so evil. It was I I never realized how
2: deep he, he went.
1: And the only way we realize it is because Paul himself showed us. You see, he embraced the pain. He accepted what he had done to the point where he could talk about it, and he embraced the pain where he didn't mince words. He didn't say, well, "Yeah, I did some bad things in my past." He, he got into detail. Yes, <laughs> and and Jonathan, that is an enormous point for helping us to understand how to accept and embrace the pain of of, of our regret. Let's take a minute. Let's go back to that TED Talk from Catherine Schultz on "Don't Regret Regret," uh, and she's talking about components of 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 the process of regret and the first component is denial. No surprise there. Let's listen.
3: But for these things that we actually do really care about and do experience profound regret around, what does that experience feel like? We all know the short answer, right? It feels terrible. Regret feels awful. But it turns out that regret feels awful in four very specific and consistent ways. So the first consistent component of regret is basically denial. When I went home that night after getting my tattoo, I basically stayed up all night, and for for the first several hours, there was exactly one thought in my head, and the thought was, make it go away. An unbelievably primitive emotional response. I mean, it's right up there with, I want my mommy. (laughs) And we're not trying to solve the problem. We're not trying to understand how the problem came about. We just want it to vanish.
1: So she had a got a tattoo and uh, we're going to learn more about this tattoo a little bit in this program but in part 2 we're going to learn a lot more about it. Okay. Uh and and she just regretted it immediately. And of course a tattoo is permanent. <laughs> Yes, it is. So, you know, she has this great regret over this experience and and, and what she had done. And she wanted to deny it. You know, make it go away. Just make it go away. That is what happens to us. That's the the knee-jerk reaction to things that we regret. Well, the Apostle Paul is showing us that to tame regret, we can't deny it. Rather, we have to accept it. And not only accept it, we have to embrace its pain because then we can begin to understand it.
2: This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject is, Will My Regrets Ever Leave Me Alone? Coming up, could anyone ever trust such a vile character as Saul of Tarsus?
0: That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome
2: back. Our subject for today is, Will My Regrets Ever Leave Me Alone? We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985 for all Or you can message us on your app. And if you don't have your free app on your smartphone, just go to your app store and type in Christian Questions Radio. And you can not only listen live on your phone to the program but you can listen to all the archive programs and take advantage of everything on our website.
1: And uh, it really is a a great tool. The the app, the website, all of these things that are there just to help you help you out and and, and put things in perspective from a scriptural uh, um when looking at scriptural subject matter to, to try to understand it. Just very quickly, Jonathan. One of, we got several great responses from last week's program. The Resurrection Program from Beverly. She wrote in, says, "I want to thank you for the beautiful Easter program. I was still crying when I walked into church this morning. The dramatizations were so moving, and so forth." And she said, "You know, God bless all who work on Christian questions." So, oh, how uh, nice! Yeah, thank you, Beverly. It it really does mean a lot when you hear from you uh, in in regards to the the effect that some of our conversations might have, be it good or bad. You know, got to hear the the negative with the positive. Sure, sure. So, all right, let's get back to regret. The Apostle Paul had lots to regret as in his life as Saul of Tarsus before he was converted. He was not afraid of the regret. He spoke the regret freely to his Christian brethren, and those were the ones he was trying to persecute and kill. Mm-hmm. He spoke freely of his regret to the Jewish people as well, told them all about what he did. And now he's describing his regret to, to King Agrippa. And King Agrippa, he was a Gentile, but he was a man who understood the Mosaic Law, and understood Jewish background. So Paul is taking this opportunity as he's speaking to King Agrippa in his own defense because he's in trouble again, and, as a Christian, but he's in trouble for good things, not bad things. <laughs> and he's describing his experience. So let's go back to Acts 26, verses 9 through 11. And we're going to spend a lot of our time in Acts 26 um, just because that's where a lot of the answers are as to how to make regret be a positive thing in your life rather than negative.
2: I had to do many things hostile or agnostic to, uh, the, antagonistic. Uh, thank you, to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And this is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, but also when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them.
1: So he's, he's like listing out, not only did I do this badly, but I did this and this and this as well. And as I punished them
2: often in all the synagogues, I tried to force them to blaspheme. And being furiously enraged at them, I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities.
1: You think about that and the attitude of those actions, it is hideous. I punished them often in synagogues. I tried to force them to blaspheme. I mean, he's, he's trying to twist their words to make them say things that they're not really saying. I mean wow. This is this is that, that's low. Is, it is dark. This is just dark. I mean, how would you view someone who did those things today? Awful. Terrible. He, he pursued, he hunted, he tricked, he shackled, he imprisoned, he pressured and consented to the killing of Jesus' own followers. Would you trust him? No, of course not. So, it was against the law. And and as a Christian, you want to stay as far away from this guy as possible. Oh, for sure. Because he seems to be the leader of the persecution and of the squelching of the early Christian movement. So, let's take a sidestep for a second here, and let's put ourselves in the shoes of Ananias. Now, who is Ananias? He was the Christian that Saul was converted by, after his vision. Okay, we're going to go to that account in a minute. And he was asked to trust Saul, after all the things we just described.
2: And he knew everything that he did.
1: And Ananias was in Damascus, where Saul was heading, to go imprison him. Whoa. Okay, so let's set that that as a backdrop, but first let's go to the phones. All right, well, we have
2: Julius from Connecticut. Good morning, Julius, and welcome to Christian Questions.
4: Uh, gentlemen, good morning. Good morning. I want to have no regrets. I want to make sure I I contribute to okay. <laughs> your discussion. Yeah. Uh, years ago, Paul Harvey was invited to... Uh, speak at a commencement exercise graduation and he related how you know uh, the mode of this uh current uh, uh culture he said i c- i i cannot talk about the 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 regular stuff he's he so he changed his title or he's uh he's, uh focus on his uh, uh discourse to the uh graduates uh, and this is this this really it's uh, so indelible in my mind what he said. Uh, the gist of it was, "Make no unerasable mistakes." That is so powerful and uh, uh, to to recall. leaves uh, one of my favorite sayings about this uh, issue of regrets, and that is, "Quote the school of experience." charges a high tuition and there are no scholarships thank you and god bless
1: thank you julius appreciate your call you're welcome it is a high tuition uh and and here's the thing though what if you know paul harvey's statement is good okay make no unerasable mistakes or however he said it but what if we do what what if we what if we commit those mistakes and make those choices and say those things and do the damage now you have to live with it. How do you live with it? Well, the first step in living with it is to accept that I did this. Just and, like Paul. Just like the, Paul did. And he's showing us how to accept it. He's showing us in a big, big way how to accept it. And he embraced the pain that he caused, not only to himself, but he embraced the pain that he caused to others as well. And we're going to see that throughout this, this program. So... It's really important because most of us, John, and I would say probably all of us have done things we really do truly regret. Absolutely. And you know what I'm talking about when I say, yes, we've done things because each of us has those things and you can recall them pretty quickly in your mind. And you say, okay, what do I do with it? Well, first step, accept and embrace the uh, the, the pain of the situation. Let's go to Ananias now because Ananias, he's in Damascus. Saul of Tarsus is on his way to Damascus to imprison Ananias and everybody like him. And here's what happens, Acts nine ten to 19
2: Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said unto him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight.
1: Okay, now just let me interrupt for a second because Ananias, is Jesus is saying, there's this man, you might know him, of course I'm paraphrasing, you might know him, maybe you've heard of him, his name is Saul of Tarsus. And (laughs) everybody who's a Christian knows who Saul of Tarsus is. Yes. So what does Ananias say?
2: But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. How much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name.
1: So Ananias' response is, Lord, I've heard all about him. And, and and I really appreciate the way Ananias presents his case back to Jesus. He says, and how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. He is saying he is against you. So Ananias isn't looking at Saul of Tarsus as against him personally. Right. He's seeing a bigger picture. And that's how spiritually minded Ananias was. Nice. And I think that's why he was the one chosen for this very difficult job, which required deep faith and trust. So he's worried, and he tells Jesus he's worried. What happens?
2: But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake.
1: So Jesus answered him and says, Nope, I know what I'm doing. He's going to be mine. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And after laying
2: his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you are coming has sent me, so that you may regain sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he got up and was baptized, and he took food and was strengthened.
1: So Ananias chose to fulfill and follow exactly what Jesus had told him to do. Yes, he did. And you think about the level of faith and trust that that took. That was huge. Because you're going to a man who is literally on his way, and he wants to see you dead. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that. And, and but Ananias believed in Jesus, and and stepped outside of his own comfort zone. I mean, can you imagine how uncomfortable it would have been to face the man who's trying to hunt you down? Well, Rick,
2: it's like trying to convert Pharaoh in Egypt.
1: <laughs> like, I know, like, there's no chance of no that. No way but Jesus knew better and Ananias had faith that Jesus knew better now we're we're building the case to understand regret Ananias did something here that he may have thought I'm going to regret this later <laughs> you, you don't know but his 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 physical earthly self may have thought that but his spiritual mind said I can be I can trust the path that Jesus himself has laid out for me. Let me walk it. That's enormous. It is. It's huge. So he was a great example of not going down a road and not making the, the choice based on emotion, but doing what the right thing was to do. Okay. So the thing is, Jonathan, we've, we've really been beaten up uh, Saul of Tarsus, the Apostle yes, Paul. Yes, we have. But Saul was a good man. Saul was a good man. He was misdirected. Yes, he was. He was violently wrong in his unbridled and rage-filled attempts to hurt and destroy the name of Jesus.
2: He used his zeal in the wrong way, didn't he?
1: Yeah. He had no choice but to embrace the pain of his own actions. He needed to to be able to cope with them because they were so bad. And that's why we chose him as an example of dealing with regret because his actions were enormously bad. So, he 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 embraced the pain of his own actions by having the courage to repeat them to several different audiences. He repeated them to the Jewish community, to the Romans, and to Christians. He hid his actions from no one. He did, what he did was to apply the second principle, which we're going to get to in a moment, uh, to... Make the first principle work, okay? Well, let's wrap up this first principle, and this first principle is is refocusing. Regret principle one is to accept. You've said it several times, accept and embrace the pain of whatever it is that you regret. King David.
2: Oh, he regretted.
1: Yeah, he also A had regret. A lot. Yeah. He had to accept it. He had to embrace the pain, and he did. Let's go to Psalm fifty-one, verses one and two.
2: Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin.
1: So, Psalm fifty one was a psalm written because of his sin with Bathsheba. Of killing her husband, right? So there were oh, multiple levels oh, of sin in were. this. Okay, so there was inappropriate desire. There was the 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 the, the, the uh, adult adultery. There was the murder. There was the premeditation. There's all. Oh, that's awful. Many yeah. things. Psalm fifty one is written as his accepting and embracing the pain of. His transgression He says, "Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin." He says it three times in, 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 in a sentence and a half. Mm-hmm. He's acknowledging, purely acknowledging how wrong he was. He wrote it, and he was admitting it before all. And Jonathan, as we wrap up this first hour, folks, you, you can't go away after the first hour here because there is so much. I mean, accepting and embracing the pain is important, but you can't stop there. Oh, no way. Okay. But see, here's the question. It'll eat you up. Yes. Just stop there. Right, right. Especially if you embrace the pain because then all you've got is pain. Yep. How do we embrace the pain of our own regrets? One way is to be willing to be vulnerable to others whom you trust. Tell them... Without excuses or without rationalization, what you did or what you thought or what you said. Own the pain. That's what these examples are teaching us. That, and that's a scary step, but it's a starting point to be able to make it so that the regret will not play again in your head, again and again and again and again, but it can now become a tool of moving forward. How do you do that? A lot more steps. A lot more to come in the second hour, so please don't go away. We've got to cover all that. Will my regrets ever leave me alone? Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions will be back in the second hour with much more on that. So please, think about it.
0: It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. You're tuned into Christian Questions. Join the conversation now on air or online at ChristianQuestions.com and download our app by searching for Christian Questions Radio. Here's Rick and Jonathan.
1: Charles Goodyear once said, I love this quote, especially when you're talking about regret. A man has cause for regret only when he sows and no one reaps. Think about that one. Good morning, I'm Rick. Welcome back. This is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And Jonathan, we've got a really important subject on the table this morning. What is it?
2: Well, Rick, our question is, will my regrets ever leave me alone? And that's part one, because we have a second part coming uh, in two weeks. And our theme text is found in Acts chapter 22, verse 19. And I said, Lord, they themselves understand That in one synagogue after another, I used to imprison and beat those who believed in you.
1: So, we're talking about regrets. Everybody has regrets. We all regret things that we said, things that we did, things that we thought, things that we wanted. And those regrets sometimes eat us up.
2: Yes, absolutely.
1: They don't go away. They replay in your head again and again and again and again and again and again and again again and it just drains you of the present because the past is so demanding.
2: And if anyone had regrets, Saul of Tarsus, man.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Isn't it a revelation how nasty and evil and dark he was? Yeah. Uh he was real he was all about hatred. He was all about acting above the law, but using the law as a cover to do what he did. And he was all about destruction, mm. uh, everything that the law did not stand for, yeah. the, the Jewish law. And, and, and he was responsible for the murder of Stephen, and probably co-responsible for the murders of other Christians as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so he bore a lot of, of darkness, and he had so much to regret. The Apostle Paul, though, learned to take that regret and make it a tool to grow from, not a destination to wallow in. And So how did he do that? And the answer, Jonathan, you know, we keep saying, you know, Paul did this. Jesus taught him how.
2: Oh, this is interesting. I love this.
1: Jesus taught him how. Literally, step by step. And we're going to go through that step by step process. So first, to recap the first um, hour, Jonathan, just... uh, A key realization and premise. What is it? Accept
2: and accept. No. no, I'm sorry. We need regret. Okay. We need regret. Okay. We need regret. Regret is a vital, important part of our lives, and we should not seek to be rid of it. Having said this, let's clarify. Regret, while necessary, should not be a destination. Rather, it should be a tool of motivation.
1: So our first refocusing regret principle
2: is what? Accept. Accept and embrace the pain of whatever it is that you regret.
1: And we spent a lot of time on that in, in the first hour. How did the Apostle Paul fully accept the pain of his actions? He admitted them. He admitted them to Christians, he admitted them to the Jewish community, and he admitted them to Gentiles, and he wrote them down. King David did the same thing in accepting the pain and uh, of his own actions. He admitted them, and he wrote them down. Part of our acceptance of the pain of our actions is to... Be accountable to somebody about those things that we we regret as well. That's hard.
2: That is very hard.
1: But it's important if you want to stop the tape from playing, the tape of regret from playing over and over again in your mind. Let's go back to the TED Talk. uh, Catherine Schultz, Don't Regret, Regret. Remember, she said there were four basic components, and the first component of regret was denial. Well, she's going to touch on the second component of of regret uh, in this soundbite, which is bewilderment.
3: The second characteristic component of regret is a sense of bewilderment. So the other thing I thought about there in my bedroom that night was, how could I have done that? What was I thinking? This real sense of alienation from the part of us that made a decision we regret. We can't identify with that part. We don't understand that part. And we certainly don't have any empathy for that part, which explains the third consistent component of regret.
1: And we cut it off because we don't want to tell you that one yet. Uh, but see, bewilderment, how could I have done that? and And Jonathan, without getting specific, when you look back at your own experiences and you think about some of the things you might regret, oh yeah, that happens. Oh, like, it does. what What was I thinking? Exactly. What was wrong with me? and and then we play that again in our heads again and again and again. Yeah. That sense of, what, how did I get to where I was? And, and contrary to what a lot of people might say, we regret things. Sometimes we were doing the best we could and we, we fell short. Mm-hmm. But oftentimes, we weren't doing the best we could. Exactly. We were doing something that we knew was wrong or knew was marginal or knew was in the gray area. And or did it anyway. And did it anyway out of anger or frustration or pride or ego or, or want or whatever it was. Yeah. And now you're stuck with it. Yep. Except... And embrace the pain. So let's get on to the second principle because we've talked about that an awful lot. What's the second regret refocusing principle?
2: Assume, assume responsibility for your wrong thoughts and actions.
1: Right now, accepting and embracing the pain is the foundation necessary for healthy regret, and that's really the key here: is turning our regret from something hurtful to something healthy. To assume responsibility might sound like the same thing, but it's actually a further step. Consider the Apostle Paul. What was the responsibility that Paul had to own up to? So let's go back to the Apostle before, uh, the Apostle Paul before King Agrippa. Let's pick up where we left off. Remember, we were in Acts chapter 26, uh, and he's describing his experience being converted to King Agrippa. Verse 14. And when he had... When we had all fallen
2: to the ground. So
1: Jesus had a, had appeared in this great light.
2: I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads.
1: Now, that's not a phrase that we use so often these days, is it? <laughs> no, it's <Okay>. not. <laughs> it's hard for you to kick against the goads. What are you talking exactly. about? Exactly. Paul brings this up in his personal testimony. And it's interesting in the King James Version it's actually in the Acts 9 um, uh, testimony of, of, of what happened but it really didn't belong there it was spurious right but okay. they added and, and you know it, it's not terrible that they added it because it really was part of the experience because Paul said it was because Paul said it was right Okay, but see by doing so he's kicking against the goat he's assuming personal responsibility for his actions so let's figure out what this phrase actually means Let's go to just uh, a couple of um, commentaries, net notes.
2: Goads are pointed sticks used to direct a drift animal, an idiom for stubborn resistance.
1: Okay, so you've got an animal like an oxen, you know, and, and y- you you want to direct them to not veer off the path or to okay. keep moving, mm-hmm. you poke them with a sharp stick. Ouch. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly, and and a little bit further on the notes.
2: The metaphor is derived from oxen at plough or drawing a burden, who on being pricked with a goad kicked against it and so cause it to pierce deeper.
1: So that's not something you want to kick against. It's more pain. Right, right. And so but the the oxen would kick against it if they didn't if they wanted to be stubborn and they wanted to go their own direction, the master would poke them and inflict pain to say, you can't go that way. And the animal would eventually give in because it hurt too much. So So in Paul's recollection of what happened to him as Saul of Tarsus, he's saying to us, and this is really important, he's saying that Jesus appears to me in this great light, in this vision, and he said, the first thing he said is, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Why are you persecuting me? And then remember, Saul of Tarsus says, "Who art thou, Lord?" Yep. And, and he says, "I am Jesus." And you're persecuting me. So that was being—that uh, was accepting the, the the pain of his regret. Like that's the one I'm persecuting. Uh oh. Right. <laughs> He's saying. I am this is as wrong as it can be. now he's coming to the point of he's saying I was responsible because Jesus told him he was responsible because he's saying it's hard for you to kick against the goat. you know better. that's what those words are saying. You're breaking the law. you and you in your conscience. No, you should not be doing these things. So Jesus himself is saying you need to assume responsibility because you are going against your own conscience. So, so, so Jesus was telling Saul, you are in the service of God himself. That's what you have said. That's what you have tried to live. And I, I'm doing a lot of addition and paraphrasing sure. Here. sure. I think Jesus is telling Saul, as a Pharisee, I have seen your love for God's law and God's way. I think he's saying to Saul, Saul, you are truly God's servant. Now, he had fallen in some pretty dark and evil things. But Jesus is seeing through the darkness to what's really underneath. And this is so important. I think Jesus is telling him, yet, look, Saul, you know in your heart that you have violated your conscience. And even worse, you are a living violation of all that the law stands for. Why do you kick against the goad? Why do you go against God and his law? Why do you kick against the goad? Why do you go against your own conscience of higher things? Why do you seek to discredit and destroy God's people? My people, Jesus is speaking. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. With this statement, Jesus reveals to Saul what Saul already knew in his heart but chose to ignore. That he was godless in his actions and used the name of God to cover his godlessness. That is a powerful, powerful indictment of Saul of Tarsus. It really is. And he's saying, you are responsible. You are absolutely responsible for what you have done. So he is not only informing him that he needs to accept that he's done wrong. Jesus is now telling him not only must you accept what you have done wrong and embrace the pain of that, but you need to accept responsibility that it's your fault what you did. And that's hard. That is. That's hard. Folks, if you have a thought, we're talking about regret how difficult it is to deal with. We'd love to hear from you at 866-985-4255, toll-free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central,
2: and that means we're on right now. And if you'd like to write to us, you can write us at Christian Questions, P.O. Box 1837, New London, Connecticut, 06320.
1: Okay, let's go on to another really short soundbite from Don't Regret, Regret, the uh, talk by Catherine Schultz, the TED talk by Catherine Schultz. And she's going to just talk about the third component of regret.
3: The third consistent component of regret, which is an intense desire to punish ourselves. That's why in the face of our regrets, the thing we consistently say is, I could have kicked myself.
1: It's kind of interesting. She uses that phrase "kick yourself" because you know Paul is kicking against the goats. Yeah, that is. That's funny. And and, and and here here here's the thing though, Jonathan. See, Saul himself reveals this in his own testimony that Jesus said to him, "It's hard for you to kick against the goats. It does not appear in the in the Acts chapter nine, um, uh, recounting of the experience. Saul doesn't have to reveal this part, but he did because he's saying to us. Jesus told me that I was responsible. Jesus told me that I needed to claim personal liability, that I needed to assume responsibility. This is the second refocusing regret principle. I need to assume responsibility for, what, for the wrongs he had, I had done, and now that I regret. Saul fought righteousness and his conscience. He fought against those things. While he was misdirected, Okay, he was misdirected and he was encouraged by his superiors. That contributed, but that wasn't an excuse.
2: Oh, good point.
1: And that's what Jesus is telling him. Yes, other things contributed to the wrong that you did, but you did it. Accept full and complete responsibility. And Saul freely admits that he allowed his own baser nature to rule. Saul admits that there was no excuse. He assumed responsibility. For what he thought and did.
2: This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject is Will my regrets ever leave me alone? Coming up, what makes us do the things that we will regret later? (laughs) That's next.
0: You're listening to Christian Questions. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back.
2: Our subject for today is, Will My Regrets Ever Leave Me Alone? We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's eight six six nine eight five for all, or you could message us on your app. And don't forget, uh, if you'd like to email us, you can email us at Rick at
1: ChristianQuestions So we're talking about regret. We're talking about you know you accept the what you did, and you you accept the and embrace the pain, but you have to also assume responsibility for what you did. And the Apostle Paul was shown that he had to assume responsibility because Jesus told him, you're at fault. Yep. Jesus Jesus told him, why do you, not to do other people, the people that gave you instructions or gave you permission, why do you kick against the goads? Why are you going against the law that you say you follow? Your conscience. And your own conscience. Why hmm. are you doing that? So, so Paul was saying, yeah, I'm at fault. It was me. So, So to truly assume responsibility for our regretful thoughts and actions requires us to really focus on what we pay attention to and what we ignore, the apostle Paul, as Saul of Tarsus, was paying attention to the wrong things and ignoring the right things. Not a good way to live. No, it's not. First Timothy
2: 4:1. But the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons.
1: So falling away from the faith, falling away from that which is good, Paying attention to that which is bad brings a bad result. Someone once said that you become what you focus on. inevitably, 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 our focus is determined by the input we allow into our minds. So what trickles in and what you allow into your mind really does determine what you end up focusing on. This means that we can carelessly allow darkness to become an influencer which in itself is a regretful action, which would lead us to potentially other regretful actions.
2: Well, Rick, regret is Satan's tool, trying to take us away from what's important. Yeah,
1: and and it works. And once he's got us with regrets... It's a tool that just keeps on giving. (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's there. I should actually say it's a tool that keeps on taking. It's the tool that keeps on taking because whenever that comes up in your mind, the tape plays again. Oh, yeah. And you see it all over again. And you feel the misery and the guilt and the anguish and the frustration and the only ifs. And that's not the way regret should be working. That same power can be harnessed for good for positive forward movement. How do we do that? We uh, uh, we have to assume responsibility. King David. King David also took dramatic steps to assume responsibility for his sins. We touched on him in the first hour. We're going to come back with each of these steps and look at King David's experience as well. He did so. He assumed responsibility by elevating those sins to the deserved height of their evil rather than buffering their effects in any way. He wrote it down and he had it, the psalm read to the people. That's Elevating his sin to the height of evil that needed to be, that the responsibility needed to be assumed. Psalm 51, 3 and 4.
2: For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak, and blameless when you judge.
1: See, David assumes responsibility here by laying his life squarely on God's judgment as he labels his sin done against God. He just says, look, it's against you, God, that I have sinned. I know that, and I'm willing to accept whatever it is to take responsibility because I sinned against you. He didn't ask for mercy. No, he didn't. He simply assumes responsibility, all of it, upon his own shoulders. Wow. So, Jonathan, as we, as we take a look at these... These, these two steps to accept and embrace the pain of our regretful actions that was step one mm-hmm. it's the foundation for healthy regret to stop the process here would be a disaster for all we would have thus far is pain that has no hope of subsiding we have the painful tape that plays again and again in our heads fully and unequivocally assuming responsibility which is step two creates even more reason for regret to swallow us so it's like, okay, you're 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 applying these steps, and it's getting worse instead of getting better. Because it's all out there, right, <laughs> right. And, and you know, it's it's like it's like surgery. You got to cut it open to, to to pull out the cancer, and you've got to create more of a mess to get the mess out. That's the process to really tame and 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 harness regret. So so it creates even more reason for regret to swallow us by by assuming responsibility. Yet we cannot refocus our regret until. We do this, and Jonathan, for me, this is a really important point. Until we fully accept responsibility, our regret cannot be refocused because we're not owning it well enough to be able to to turn the corner. So how do we positively assume the responsibility of our own regretful action? Well, let me tell you what not to do. Let's go to soundbite. Uh, our next soundbite from Katherine Schultz in her TED Talk, Don't Regret, Regret. She's talking about the fourth component of regret, which is obsession.
3: The fourth component here is that regret is what psychologists call perseverative. To perseverate means to focus obsessively and repeatedly on the exact same thing. Now, the effect of perseveration is to basically take these first three components of regret and put them on an infinite loop. So it's not that I sat there in my bedroom that night thinking, make it go away. It's that I sat there and I thought, make it go away, make it go away, make it go away, make it go away.
2: Did
1: you think you we were going to learn about perseveration today?
2: Never in my wildest dreams.
1: <laughs> I have to admit, Jonathan, I never heard that word before until I heard her give this talk. But the the, the point that she's making is that she got this tattoo, and immediately after she got it, and I, and I will just tell you, we're not going to tell you about the tattoo fully this week. In a couple of weeks, we're going to come back, and she's going to reveal what it is and all that. She really thought it through, the tattoo she wanted to get, and she really thought that this is going to be a great thing. And she was excited about it until the minute she, it was finished. And then she thought, what have I done? What have I done? And, th- and then she went through all of these different steps and this different focus and everything. And, 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 and now she's saying, and she obsessed on it. You know, make it go away. Just make it go away. Just make it go away. Just, just, just make it go away. You know, nothing else could get into her head except for the obsession. Because you have to have the, the full responsibility. We can't make it go away. But instead, we can make it work for us instead of against us. Mm. That is the key. Assume responsibility fully, honestly, and with courage, knowing that God's grace and strength will not leave us here to wilt under the intense heat of honesty and truth. And, you know, there is an intense heat of honesty and truth. God's grace and God's mercy won't allow you to wilt under that but he will allow you to feel its pain. But don't stop here. Don't stop just with this step. There's, there, you, you, We've got to go much, much further than that. So, and, and I've mentioned this a couple of times, Jonathan, and I want to stress it here. Much of the reasoning on regret that, that we looked into in preparing for the program suggests that the things we regret in our past were a result of us falling short while doing the best we could at the time. Well, this might be true occasionally, I believe that for the most part, our regretful actions were actually choices, bad choices that came out of fear or that came out of laziness, or that came out of ego, or that came out of carelessness, whatever it was. And those bad choices led us to make to, to, to act or to say or to think something that was not good we all look we're imperfect so we all have this challenge we all have it now some of us d- depending i think on the personality of a person the makeup yeah you know people who are far more action oriented probably by definition do a lot more do a lot more things that they will later regret like the apostle peter Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, very exactly and precisely. That's a great, great example. I can relate to him, because, <laughs> unfortunately. you know, he had the this, this sense inside of his own heart and mind of, of what was good and right. Yeah. And, and, you know, last week in our program, we touched on him saying to Jesus, Well, you know, if everybody else will, will you know, persecute, oh, not persecute, but leave you, I, I'll stand with you right to the end. And, mm-hmm. of course, Jesus had to tell him, No, you won't. Right you'll actually deny me three times. And for Peter, that would have been like, what are you talking about? Right, because he had this sense of self that was bigger than the reality of their circumstances. And so his blown-up ego clouded his ability to really see what Jesus was talking about. And he had to experience it, and he had to go out and weep bitterly in order to understand that he was not what he thought he was. That was one of the greatest and best lessons of his entire life. And I believe Jesus taught him how to use the regret of those those lessons by uh, dealing with him after he was raised. And remember, he says, Peter, do you love me? Three times. Three times. He's teaching him to take his regrets uh, and the bitterness and turn it into, feed my sheep. Strength. Right. I'm relying on you because I know your heart. Just like Jesus knew the heart of the Apostle Paul. Same thing. I mean, it's really quite exciting that is. when you think about it. Um, okay, I, I got a little off on a little tangent, tangent here. You know, sometimes our regret is a result of the things that we, we just think or do that just really aren't good Um Let's take a look at an example of a regretful action. Uh, Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 to 14.
2: But when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by his Hypocrisy.
1: So, you know, you you brought up the Apostle Peter, and here's a, an example of Peter just reacting. Yep. He 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 fell prey to peer pressure, and that was a regretful action. Yes. A very regretful action. Paul called him out on it. Right, Rick. Paul sees Peter as guilty and not as one who's doing his best. He doesn't see Peter as. Oh, I can understand how difficult that must have been for you. Gee, let's uh let, let let me just put my arm around you and say it's okay, but you know, maybe next time maybe we should consider not being hypocritical a little bit. That's not, Paul says, "You're yeah. a hypocrite." What are you doing? He's showing him clearly and and uh, w- w- without any imagination needed that look. Something needs to change here. Peter knew better, and Paul knew that Peter knew better. Verses uh, 14, verse 14, I'm sorry.
2: But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in the presence of all, if you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews?
1: So Paul brings Peter's hypocrisy out in, in public. It's in public. He assumes responsibility because he has to because it's in public. What's the lesson? When we know better, we are expected to do better. See, that's the key for, for, for the Apostle Peter. He knew better and therefore was expected to do better. When we lead, it should be with spiritual integrity. Paul knew that from personal experience. Yes, he did. Okay. Don't let others' opinions bring you to regretful actions. There's a great, great lesson there. Jonathan, let's take a moment and go to the phones. All right. Well, we have Carol from Connecticut. Good
2: morning, Carol, and welcome to Christian Questions.
1: I contemplate
5: him calling you because I have a very huge regret that happened. My firstborn in, was born in '73. my Scotty, and he was born premature, and he was deformed. Now, um, I did not want to see him. I did not want to hold him. They took. They wanted me to um, uh, see him and hold him before they took him to Yale New Haven Hospital. Two days later, he died. Why I did that is the biggest regret in my life. I don't even know. It was like a blur. It was telling. I, I, mean, I love children. Today, if I was younger and I had a handicapped child, I would have never done that. Why I did it, I don't know. I don't know. And I and I pray to Scotty every day that I'm sorry I never got to help, hold you. But God help me. After my children were old enough, I went to. Uh, work in a school cafeteria. I treat these children like they're my own. Sometimes my coworkers say, "Oh, you you shouldn't do that. You're you know you're, you're whatever." If I give them, you're like their mother. I am. I'm. I tell the kids, "I'm your mother at school," and that and that was my biggest regret. But God helped me by placing me into where children are. And, 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 you know, and helping them and just looking at them when they're eating and, and see how happy they are. And like I said, I feel awful. And for those listening who have lost, who have handicapped, I am so sorry. This is not me. I don't know what happened in 73. I don't.
1: Well, Carol, you know, you first of all, thank you for sharing that very, very difficult experience. It takes a lot of courage to do that. Um, but but i got to tell you that your experience is something that, you know, being a young mother and having such a difficult thing happen it's 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 such a fearful experience mm-hmm. and you know you say i don't know why i did it because probably i don't know but probably because you were just afraid and you just it was so unexpected mm-hmm. and you because the child was taken from you within within a couple of days uh, you can see how that regret could blossom and grow and eat you alive but your experience of working with and dealing with children and loving those children no matter what their condition. Right. You, you're you right. God did help you to he take did. that regret and make it something positive, and it drives you now to have open arms for Ab- whatever is before you. Absolutely. So I say God uh-huh. God bless you for that, Carol. Thanks so much for calling. All right. Thank you. What, what a great experience. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Take care. And, and Jonathan, very well-timed in our discussion because that was a regret that, you know, you look at her as a young mother and you say, no, look, she did the best that she knew how. She was just afraid beyond her capacity. And you can't blame her for being afraid beyond her capacity. And the regret could have eaten her up. But she now lives as a result of a mistake that she made and has given blessing and encouragement and love and grace to countless families because of that that is God's blessing and she will see that little baby in the resurrection there's no doubt about that and the joy of being able to to see him will be beyond words folks regret is such a big big part of our lives let's learn to deal with it
2: This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject is Will my regrets ever leave me alone? Coming up, so we accept the pain, assume responsibility, but we can't obsess. Where do we go from here? That's next.
0: You're listening to Christian Questions. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome
2: back. Our subject for today is, Will My Regrets Ever Leave Me Alone? We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866 985 for all, or you could message us on your app, and don't forget to interact with us on Facebook on our website christianquestions dot com, and you can also tweet us at CQNet Radio, and we now have Instagram.
1: That's right, lots of things going on. Half of them I don't understand, but cool. <laughs> That's what I got to say. So, so Jonathan, as we're 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 focusing on regret and learning to to make regret a tool of positive growth rather than, than wallowing self-pity, it's a hard thing. You have to accept the, the what you did and the pain of what you did. We have to assume responsibility for what we did. Those are two very difficult steps. They are. And if you stop just there, you're going to die in your regrets. It's It'll just, eat you alive. It will. It'll just play again and again and again. So what's the third refocusing regret principle?
2: Rick, it's apply. Apply faith and then apply trust that we are forgiven and therefore in a position for spiritual
1: growing and not emotional groaning. There's a big difference between spiritual growing, positively focused regret, and emotional groaning, negatively focused regret. Here is where many of us lose the battle to regret and end up wallowing in the mire of self-pity and guilt. We don't apply faith and trust in forgiveness. Woe is me. <laughs> Eeyore, you heard it here first. <laughs> Didn't know you had that in yet. <laughs> so it, it really is this, is, this is the pivot point. This is the pivot point. If, if you remember nothing else, think about learning how to apply this step. Let's go back to the TED Talk uh, um, talk by Catherine Schultz on Don't Regret, Regret. And then from there, we're going to go back to the phones.
3: This is obviously an incredibly painful experience. And I think it's particularly painful for us now in the West, in the grips of what I sometimes think of as a control Z culture. Control Z like the computer command, undo. We're incredibly used to not having to face life's hard realities in a certain sense. We think we can throw money at the problem or throw technology at the problem. We can undo and unfriend and unfollow And the problem is that there are certain things that happen in life that we desperately want to change, and we cannot. Sometimes instead of control Z, we actually have zero control. And for those of us who are control freaks and perfectionists, and I know whereof I speak, this is really hard because we want to do everything ourselves and we want to do it right.
1: Some things in life you just cannot undo. And uh, that that's such an important point in dealing with regret, Jonathan. Let's go to the phones. All right. Well, we have Arlene
2: from Connecticut. Good morning, Arlene, and welcome to Christian Good morning,
6: Questions. Morning, Jonathan. Uh, I have a regret that I've regretted all my life. I had a best friend in my teenage years, and uh, she became pregnant, and her parents and her boyfriend wanted her to get an abortion. And I was trying to fight against that, telling her, no, she should keep the baby, not have an abortion, but I don't think i fought hard enough to help her, and I'm very pro-life. I've been that way all my life, so I've been regretting that all my life about not helping my friend.
1: And that that's a tough one, because that is one of those things, uh, you know, abortion is a subject, Arlene, that that we talk about occasionally on this program. We hate talking about, but occasionally we do, because... It is one of the areas of life that produces the deepest and most heart-wrenching regrets for everybody. And you're, you're bringing up an important point about your contribution, and you feel like, well, if, I, if only I could have or I should have, I didn't fight hard enough. And, and now, have you been able to tame that in, in, in the years since?
6: Uh, yes. Um, I've worked with children. Um, I took in foster children, fresh air, fun children from New York City. And I I just love babies and children with all my heart, and I'm just so pro-life that that really bothered me all my life, and I just haven't been able to get over it, even though it's many years later that this little life didn't have a chance because I didn't help my friend, but I was a teenager as she was, and her parents and boyfriend kept pushing for her to have this abortion.
1: Well, Arlene, I really appreciate you uh, you sharing the experience again, a very difficult and deep experience and and you know take heart in the fact that you you did make an effort, and while you look back on your very young self and say, "I could have done better," you were a very young individual, you're only a teenager, but your life has reflected doing better, hasn't it?
6: Well, thank you so much, and I'm enjoying your program.
1: All right, Arlene, thank you. God bless you, dear. Bye, bye. Take care. And again, Jonathan, these are—I mean, the two—the two experiences that will relate to us in terms of regret are huge. Oh, they are. And it makes the point of the value of understanding how to channel regret to be something positive. And and Arlene has channeled that in a very positive way by living her belief for so many other children who are underprivileged. And her point is, it doesn't matter if you're underprivileged, you're a child, a child of God, and therefore you should be loved. Yes. What a Amen. valiant testimony in the face of such difficult things. Arlene, thanks so much for sharing such a difficult story. So, Jonathan, applying faith and trust. How did the Apostle Paul avoid the deadly choice of wallowing in self-pity? Because he had a lot to regret. Oh, he did. How did he avoid that choice? Well, let's go back to how Jesus taught him how to avoid that choice. Acts chapter 26, verses 15 to 17. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the
2: Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you, to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you, rescuing you from Jewish the Jewish people and from Gentiles to whom I am sending you.
1: So there is a lot in that answer that Jesus gave to the Apostle Paul. And we're going to take the rest of the program and just touch on the answer because in our part two, we're going to delve into this a whole lot more deeply. On the apply. Yes. Because apply faith. Applying faith and then trust. Okay. Jesus teaches the Apostle Paul In these words, how to apply faith and trust. And we're going to take them apart. But realize, as we take them apart, one thought I just want to plant before we go through these scriptures is that Arlene, in her call, and Carol, in her call, in principle, have applied what Jesus is teaching the Apostle Paul here to do. They have. They have. they? They have. When you look at how this breaks down, you're going to see how they have unbeknownst to them, probably, really done what Jesus advised the Apostle Paul to do. So, And that, that's really good news. That is. The, the really amazing thing about regret and this account of Paul's past is that Jesus is teaching him, step by step, how to manage his regret. Jesus is doing this because Paul was to be an integral link in the Gospel plan. And Paul, therefore, needed to be thoroughly focused on the present challenges that he would daily face. Paul would not have the time or the available energy to go back to the past and wallow in it. You're right. He had too much else to do. So Jesus teaches him how to take his regrets, the things that he had done, and move use them as tools for growth. So we're going to give you just an overview of the steps to faith and trust and forgiveness in the face of regret. And Jonathan, notice there are three things. Faith. Trust, and forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Okay, part two, we're going to detail these, as well as the fourth and fifth principles, which we're not even touching on today. So, let's let's get started with this as we wind down our time for today. And folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255. If you want to call, you better do it right now, because we're almost out of time. Faith and trust can only feed forgiveness when... First point, A, we'll call it A because I, I do numbers. People tell me, you know, Rick, you do one list and then you start another list in the middle of the first list. and the, I can't remember which number you're on. It's
2: letter time. It's
1: letter time. Okay, <laughs> A, faith and trust can only feed forgiveness when, A, you know who it is that is dealing with you. Okay, this is how you feed forgiveness through faith and trust. The scripture said what? Let's read just that portion of the scripture again.
2: And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting.
1: Saul's experiences of perpetrating evil came to this. He had been persecuting his own Messiah, his own Savior. And now he knew it. Our sinful actions and resulting regret are in their appropriate place when they are placed before Jesus, our Savior. So if you have regrets and you are just wallowing in them, put them where they belong. Before Jesus. Because that is where faith can begin to work. Because you got to go from faith to trust to true forgiveness. And it takes work and effort to get there. So that's the A. Mm-hmm. You know who it is you're dealing with. B. Faith and trust can only feed forgiveness when... B. Faith is put into action. The next words of Jesus in this vision on the road to Damascus are startling in terms of telling Paul to put his faith into action. What does Jesus say to him?
2: But get up and stand on your feet.
1: Now, they had all fallen down because of the great light and all of that. Yes. And this is not just saying, okay, get up again. No, it's not. This is saying, get up. And stand on your feet. Right. Faith is not just a thrill for the heart or an exercise for the intellect. Faith is really a transformative conviction. Get up. Stand up on your own two feet. Once we've accepted and embraced uh, the pain of of the cause of our regret, once we've assumed full responsibility, faith then requires us to stand up. So Jesus is telling the Apostle Paul, here's how you deal with it. Get up. Stand on your feet. And he's basically saying, I'm with you in this. You can manage this. C. Faith and trust can only feed forgiveness when faith is based in humility so that it can be redirected. If our faith is not based in humility, we had the example of the Apostle Peter. Remember we were Mm -hmm. talking about the denials and all that? Yes, That was not faith based in humility. That was faith based in ego. Faith based in humility can be redirected. Jesus explains that to the Apostle Paul here. uh, And what are his next words to the Apostle? For this
2: purpose I have appeared to you. To appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you.
1: So, he's saying, I am appointing you a minister for me. You have been a minister against me, but I've changed that. Forgiveness and grace overflow with this proclamation from Jesus to Saul, the perpetrator of evil. See, Jesus knew Saul's heart. Jesus saw his potential because of his heart. Jesus saw past the darkness and the evil of Saul's actions. He saw past it because he knew Saul was bigger and better and more than that in his desire to serve God. So faith based in humility was redirected because Jesus said, I'm appointing you to be my minister. Point D, faith and trust can only feed forgiveness when we trust based upon our faith. When we truly trust, based upon our faith. Faith is the foundation. Faith accepts forgiveness. Trust is the building. Trust applies forgiveness to our deepest and most mortifying sins and circumstances. Trust is not some kind of a topical ointment. Trust is faith deeply applied in a mature fashion. Jesus shows Paul his need to build a secure trust upon his faith by saying what? Rescuing
2: you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles To whom I am sending you.
1: So he's basically saying, you're going to be in a heap of trouble. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm asking you, I'm telling you to trust in me and I will rescue you from every piece of trouble that you get into because you will be working for me and with me now. You see, so there's this whole process. That Jesus gives to the Apostle Paul Saul of Tarsus, who's becoming the Apostle Paul, and Acts, as, as, as uh, Paul recounts it in Acts twenty-six, fifteen to seventeen, that says, "Apply faith, then apply trust, that we are forgiven, and therefore in a position for spiritual growth and not emotional groaning." So, Jonathan, this is thrilling. Now, we've only touched on these things in our part two of will my regrets ever leave me alone in a few weeks we're going to deeply go into these much much more and then points four and five which we didn't even touch which incidentally if you have CQ Rewind the full edition you can see them ahead of time because they're listed there just saying Uh so uh, sign up now if you don't have that but look folks there's so much more to managing our regrets part two is just two weeks away and CQ Rewind has a list of all of what has been and what we're going to be looking at regret is important in life you need it. You need to learn to manage it in a godly, spiritual way. And the best part is, Jesus taught us how. So let's learn together. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, we'll be back again next week with another subject. But till then, will my regrets ever leave me alone? The answer is yes, they can. Just do what Jesus said. Till next week, think about it.